Welcome back to another human exception. And this week, I don't have a cold. Yay. Um, this week, we pick up where we left off with Theo's story. Icarus has just escaped Jen's grasp and has warned Theo about the horrors that he experienced. But Theo can't just walk away, not while Jack is still in Jen's clutches. Content warning, this story contains descriptions of childhood, verbal, and physical abuse, abusive relationships, self-harm, suicidal ideation, and struggles with mental health and the mental health system. Let's get ready for another human exception. The following summer, Icarus would move in with Jen and Jack. Around this time, Theo had pulled away somewhat from Jen and Jack and wasn't aware of what was happening while Icarus was there. And also around this time, Eris would leave the group, and not long after, Icarus would have then escape. Once on the outside, Icarus eventually contacted Theo and began to let them in on what had happened. And Theo believed it. And it made them all the more concerned about Jack and wanting to get him out. So Theo waded back into the pool. Quote, I knew that Icarus was badly affected by his time living with Jen and Jack, and I think I was roped a little too deep and determined to try and stick close to Jack, but I didn't air my suspicions about Jen too loudly. Hearing the small parts of what I'd heard from Icarus also increased my suspicions about Jen, but in order to get close enough to Jack, going in guns blazing was just not something I had the guts for, and unfortunately Jen had me confused and ensnared before I could do anything. Jen had me thinking moment to moment in brain meltdown mode, and I never really gave myself a chance to cool down and check facts or check with other people. End quote. Getting Jack out wasn't the only thing on Theo's mind, though, as things with Santa had escalated. So things Santa had continued to grow only rockier the deeper into the fandom that Theo got, and Jen saw this as a weakness. Quote, Jen was convinced that Santa was abusive. Despite the fact that I was also in love with her, according to Jen, I didn't think of myself as romantically in love with my high school best friend until Jen suggested it, and I was angry enough at Santa that I was inclined to believe Jen instead of my own instincts. And after a particularly terse set of interactions with Santa, I exploded and begged her to stop being mean to me because I loved her. It was a full-on anime love confession. It was so cringe looking back on it. She was very offended and freaked out and said that it was weird and awful to be thought of romantically by me. I needed to be separated from Santa one way or the other for the pain to end between us, but in retrospect, the way I did it was needless, and I wish I'd not listened to Jen at all. The resulting fight with Santa ended in me stopping talking to her for a while, and with me coming out to my parents that I was at the very least bisexual. Both of them were very accepting of it because, well, it was abstract, but I didn't bother trying to come out myself with the rest of the family because the memory of Agnes screaming lesbians was seared into the back of my subconscious. So Jen completely tor- torpedoed her like one real or Theo's one real connection to real life. Right. Yeah, separating people from their yeah their outs basically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So then that like this leaves pretty much then Theo, their only close friends then being the fandom at this point. So effectively removing Theo's main anchor to the real world, Jen had Theo exactly where she wanted them. Vulnerable, desperate, and alone. Around winter 2002, Theo would begin to make trips up to State College to visit Jack and Jen. And this is like a 200-mile trip from Maryland. 
So this is not like a short trip. Yeah. Things with Jen had been tense for a long time, and there was, but there was no relationship with Jack if Jen wasn't involved. So Theo had to do their best to deal with her. The first trip from Maryland to Pennsylvania was with another of Theo's high school friends named Lydia. During this trip, Jen tried to pretend to be the Lucretia from Theo's story so that they could be their own Hojo. So kind of a bit of a summary of who Lucretia is. Um, In the game, about 30 years before the start of the game, Lucretia is a scientist that ends up working on the Genova project with Hojo. With this being a highly valued and somewhat dangerous project, Shinra assigns someone to protect the scientists. This is Vincent Valentine. He's one of the main characters that joins your party in the game. Or that can join your party. He's an optional party member. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, never mind. <laughs> it's strongly implied that <laughs> it is strongly implied that Vincent and Lucretia had some form of romantic relationship until Vincent finds out that she was culpable in his father's death. She's overcome with guilt and turns to Hojo and Vincent leaves, only wanting her to be happy. But it's implied that she becomes extremely depressed after this and never really returns to her old self. She ends up marrying Hojo and becomes pregnant. And she and Hojo agree to put Genova cells into their unborn child. This had unexpected side effects, making Lucretia experience great pain and hallucinations. She would then have the baby, only to have it immediately taken away from her. This child would then grow up to be Sephiroth. And after losing her child, she would then attempt to kill herself. Video games, right? (laughs) And a lot of this stuff is very, like, implied in the original game. Like, it's a lot more abstract in how they do it. And you, like, pick up pieces from all these notes and stuff around the way. Um, But, yeah, that is pretty much what happens. (laughs) Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, and so, like, most people see the Lucretia-Hojo relationship as, like, he took advantage of her when she was all heartbroken and upset. Um, and that, that like, she didn't really love him, but she just kind of was there because of the stability kind of thing. And that people mm-hmm. see the Vincent and Lucretia as the, the you know, OTP, right? <laughs> so they see that as the, the ideal pairing and that Hojo's the bad guy in the situation. Hmm. Um, and, like, later iteration, later, later games in, in the same universe would um, further kind of imply that more that, yeah, Vincent definitely loved Lucretia and that Hojo is totally a bad dude. Um, but with the original game, it's a lot more ambiguous. Uh, huh. Yeah. <laughs> and stories and stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're so deep in this fandom and you've never played this game. <laughs> All right. Never, so in- <laughs> never. I don't know anything about Final Fantasy. Oh my god, like <laughs> we're gonna get to the end of this and then we should make you play the game and you'd be like, I have no idea what's going on. I would rage it five minutes in. I would be done <laughs> I would be done. I don't do JRPGs, I don't do them. It's like I don't watch animation, I don't play those games because they drive me nuts. We gotta get you to dip your toe in at least you gotta try Castlevania to watch that. Uh, it's all my gonna... okay. Add it to the Netflix queue, okay? I did that. I I made a commitment. (laughs) I don't know how long it'll take me to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. um, So, um, in Theo's story, Hojo had dearly loved Lucretia, but Lucretia had not so secretly truly loved Vincent Valentine. So, Lucretia haunts Hojo, criticizing him and calling him a monster throughout their their fanfiction. So, yeah, like, Jen... Jen decides that they're they're in a like 
in a car ride at this point. Then Jen decides that they want to start role playing with Theo. Um, and Jen's going to be Lucretia and wants Theo to be then their Hojo, which has never happened. Like, whenever Jen has decided to do the role playing stuff, like, she was very controlling about which characters everyone is and, like, the way they play that character. So suddenly, like, yeah, um, she's playing this character and playing into Theo's fantasy, essentially. Um, so they start this interaction, but then there was a car accident <laughs> that occurred and Lydia was driving. No one was hurt, but the trip was kind of cut short and Theo was left kind of wanting a bit more of that kind of interaction that got cut short because it was the first time that they really felt this sort of connection to Jen because Jen was playing this character and was really playing into this fantasy that they knew that Theo had. Um, so very confusing for Theo, as you can imagine. During a second trip is when Jen got a little more serious about trying to integrate Theo into her sphere. Theo had proven to be very trustworthy, so Jen revealed the, her narrative to them. So in this narrative, where Genova had actually been an alien princess, the crash landed on the Final Fantasy VII planet during the age of Cetra, which was a powerful previous civilization that existed thousands of years prior to the game, and that Hojo's past self was the king of the Cetra, married to Genova, making Jack the king. So Jack's the king, Jen's the queen. Um, so not sure what to do with Theo. Assigning them Vincent was really right out the window because Theo really didn't like the character and they'd already assigned Vincent to Czar. Um, Jen had Jack do a past life regression on Theo to find out who he was. <laughs> the character that came out of this was a character that doesn't exist in the canon and it was the king's personal guard and best friend. Quote, the character that emerged was close in vain to the Lancelot of Arthurian legend, but if he were in love with King Arthur, not Guinevere. <laughs> he was conveniently suspicious of Princess Genova. Jen's Cetra story was clearly ripped off from Escaflone, which is an anime, um, and I could see right through it. She was an outsider trying to command respect without earning it and playing innocent to lure people into a false sense of security. And through thinking I was this character for a short time, I was able to say that to say, I was able to say that to her in real time and apologize right after. I wanted to be by Jack's side, but I also distrusted Jen to an extreme degree. So even in Jen's little spider web, it was I was being a I was being a malcontent and a thorn in her side. I didn't really get to I really didn't get the real time role play as that character except for that one except for like one night. But I've kept him in the back in my back pocket ever since. So yeah, instead of like you know giving Theo, like, an actual character. <laughs> Jen's like, we're gonna make somebody up for you. Oh yeah. And a very platonic character as well to my <laughs> to my husband slash boyfriend. Right, right. <laughs> um, so Jen had been assaulting them for months with this every possible manipulation and head trick that she could think of trying to break through and win Theo's undying devotion the same way that she had done with Jack. But Jen's tactics were messy and haphazard as best. Uh, her clumsy stumbling just wasn't very effective at seducing Theo to her side. And something Theo and I had kind of a conversation about. Um, I was like, how intentional do you think Jen's manipulations were? Do you think that she had an idea of what that she knew what she was doing? And Theo's like, no, mm. not really. Like, it just kind of felt like they were just flinging random things and trying to see what worked. Wow. But just like, my ex was felt very much the same way. Like, the way that he was emotionally abusive and stuff, it wasn't, he wasn't trying to accomplish something particularly. He was just acting out and seeing what got him the results that he wanted. That he wanted, yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, so this wasn't like, he wasn't playing 4D chess here, yeah. Yeah, no, not nearly as like <laughs> omniscient and like strategic. It's it's right. all just like throwing shit and seeing what happens, right? So being on guard all this time is exhausting. Um, as anyone who's ever had any sort of abusive or toxic relationship with anybody, um, being around these kind of people is just so exhausting. Jen always needed attention and exactly when she needed it. Everything was on her schedule and on her terms. And for Theo to continue his friendship with Jack, he had to play Jen's game. And they had to be able to try and get to be able to try and get Jack out. It was incredibly common when the group would hang out for Jen to slip in and out of characters, very rarely ever being just Jen. So real-life role-playing could happen at any time, and Jen would just want everyone around her to follow suit. So, like, she would, like, suddenly shift into a character, and suddenly else everyone's supposed to adopt these roles, like, like they know what's going on. <laughs> and if, like, you didn't respond in role-play, like, she'd kind of retaliate or be just, like, aggressive and, like, mean. <laughs> So it's like, no, we're all playing this right now. <laughs> um, one of the reasons that Theo never really bonded with Jen's fan narrative of Final Fantasy VII is that Jen perceived events and characters in a very different way than Theo did. Um, like I said before, Jen's Hojo was very different than Theo's and was even different than Jack's. Um, Hojo was still a very important character to Theo and something that they had held on to despite everything that was happening. And they credit this for allowing them to kind of keep their sanity as long as they did around Jen. But no matter how strong something is, if you keep beating on it long enough, cracks will form and you will find a weak spot. It was during the second trip that Jen would try to roleplay Theo's fanfiction again, adopting the identity of Lucretia and encouraging Theo to be their Hojo. Jen began acting out scenes and dialogue from Theo's fanfiction luring Theo in with some with something they loved so dearly and causing them to let their guard down. Jen took advantage of this, savoring the power this dynamic had over Theo, before dropping it and making Theo realize how easy that they could fall into her trap if she really tried and it shook them. Quote, I wanted to let Jack know that I cared about him and give him a friend that he could rely on and maybe try to climb out of the swirl a bit and see Jen for the charlatan that she was. Unfortunately, I got pulled down into the swirl with Jack. So I had jumped into the ocean to save a drowning man without knowing how to swim myself, and then I was also drowning. End quote. It was during another visit when a new idea was proposed. Quote, Eventually the question of Jack and Jen opening up their relationship to include me came up. And at first I was excited, but I was also scared because Jen and I weren't good to each other. Jen and Jack weren't good to each other, but Jack and I were good to each other. But I was scared of physically moving out of my home, being shunned by my family, or ending up like Eris or Icarus. End quote. It wasn't something that Theo had ever really considered before. A lifetime absorbing mainline cishet programming had taught them that interfering in relationships with others is dishonorable. But they did have strong feelings for both of them, though more positive strong feelings at the time were for Jack. And while it was hard to admit, they were lonely. And the friends that they cared about the most were out in Pennsylvania. Now that, you know, Santa had gone their separate ways, maybe from the inside, they could help Jack see a way out. Or maybe if he was there, he could make things better. So the next morning, while Jen and Jack thought Theo was sleeping, they, over, they overheard Jen, and Jack, Jen tell Jack that she wasn't ready to be Polly. And this hurt Theo deeply. They didn't know what they had done to cause Jen to change her mind. And whatever it was, this feeling of being unwanted washed over them in a cold wave. Looking back, Theo could tell that Jen knew that Theo wasn't ever going to be completely subservient to her as Jack was. 
and her going back on her overpromising at this point was probably the most honest thing for her to have done. Theo got up and got their stuff together and got in their car and made the long drive home, fighting back tears the whole way. It was a betrayal unlike any that they'd ever known, and while sure it was completely within Jen's right to change her mind, Theo couldn't help but feel led on and overwhelmed by the crushing sense of abandonment that had been ingrained in them since childhood. Theo tried to forget about it and just to continue their friends with the their friendship with the couple, still hoping to extract Jack, but the rejection hung there, this elephant in the room. So just when things seemed to be getting back to normal, someone new joined the group, a woman named Angel. Jen had met her in a housing roleplay forum, and Theo couldn't help but feel jealous, even though Jen insisted that nothing had changed and was trying to involve Theo in the, the group roleplay, even assigning them a character that was a main protagonist this time. But it wasn't something that Theo had asked for, and they were not motivated to play along. Theo wanted to stay in Final Fantasy VII land, especially since the character that they got assigned was extremely female, and pinged on the nascent feeling of, feeling of dysphoria that they had. It also is worth mentioning that the character that Jen assigned to Theo was obedient to the character that Jen chose for herself. It still felt like a punch to the gut when Jen announced that Angel was going to come to visit and asked if Theo could make the 200-mile drive to State College to meet her and chauffeur the group around for Angel's visit. Good God. <laughs> As Theo said, gosh, I was so lucky to be treated with so much mercy. End quote. So Angel lived in Arizona with her husband, and the two were Polly. And this set Theo on edge, a sense of dread hanging over their head. Quote, this was the test trip, and they wanted to, and they wanted to meet them, and I wanted to meet them too, to suss them out, even though I really should have just ghosted them after Jen turned me down. I did meet Angel in person then, and I don't think we really interacted much more than exchanging pleasant greetings and partings. I had the feeling I was going to be replaced, and I kind of thought Angel would be the replacement. I just didn't know when or how. I didn't stay the entire time that Angel was there. I drove back home after the jealousy began to drive me insane, and this would be the last time that I saw Jack in person. End quote. Sure enough, this test trip would end up being more than a short visit. We know that Angel ended up staying there for a couple weeks to the dismay of her husband. It was likely around this time as well that Elliot would come and spend the month with the group. Quote, Angel was older than all of us and had been Polly to begin with. She was mature and kind, or at least to Jen, and of course Jen was miraculously ready to be Polly for Angel, and it made me see red. Jen had figured out how to make me want something by proxy of making me jealous, and that's essentially how she won. End quote. Angel had moved in, and all of Theo's fears were confirmed. To them, it wasn't that Jen just wasn't ready to be Polly. She just wasn't ready to be Polly with Theo, which made the rejection sting even further, which only then made them angrier, as they didn't even want to have a relationship with Jen in the first place, but she had got her claws into them and made them think for a moment that maybe, just maybe. Quote, when I was replaced and I broke contract, I had an immediate meltdown. Jen had managed to absolutely thwart my attempt to pull Jack away from her by dis distracting me thoroughly, and now Jack was stuck two-on-one with Angel on Jen's side. And also, despite the group having moved to Helsing as an IP, Hojo.org still belonged to Jack. And when I broke contact, my content was then scraped off the website. Everything that I had been using to artificially enhance myself and my self-worth was absolutely gone. End quote. Breaking contact wasn't as simple as that. Jack had tried to remain friends with, so Jack tried to maintain their friendship, and where Jack went, so could Jen. So Jen kept trying to draw Theo back in, 
and eventually Theo just had to go completely dark to lose them. Which neither liked. Jen because she hated being ignored, and Jack because he truly did care about Theo, Theo and was worried about them. Theo had to change their whole online social sphere. The Hojo fandom was very small and everyone was connected, so Theo slowly pulled away from everything, becoming very par paranoid that if they left any trace, Jen would find them and hunt them down. So Theo tried to move on with the life, but so much had orbited around Jen and Final Fantasy VII for the last couple years that they didn't even know where to start or who they even were anymore. They'd lost so much of themselves and more was to come. Quote, My father's mother, Clara, was diagnosed with brain cancer and the foundations of my family's began to crack irreparably. <laughs> so I lost two big ties in my social support network. My father turned on himself with grief and ceased being a person that I could look for stability. And I was still kind of stuck in a tiny dead-end job at a gas station trying to pay off my car and taking one course at a time out of pocket at a local community college. I took to the night shift like my mom and spent a lot of my time crying on live journal about how hurt I was and about how scared I was of my reputation that if Jen Jack or Angel were to call me out within the Pojo fandom that it could ruin everything. This attracted sympathy for me, but sorry, this attracted sympathy to me and someone who had admired me for a long time, end quote. So Carlin would become a president in Theo's presence in Theo's life and a pillar of strength that he could cling that they could cling to. Quote, Carlin is someone that I'd known on and off for a while before I knew Jack. He took pity on me and learned almost everything that happened to me before we started dating. But there was a lot of stuff that I just couldn't vocalize at all because I was just so damaged. This is my first openly queer relationship. I was attention and touch starved, and Carlin fixed both of these things in an instant. But unfortunate thing was that it was a long distance relationship. And my mother, despite telling, telling her years ago that I was not straight, did not like Carlin. But my father and sibling did like Carlin and encouraged us to continue together. I visited Carlin twice, and he visited me once. And during my second visit in May-ish 2004, my father's mother would pass away. And everyone on my dad's side kind of crawled into the coffin with her. Any plans that I had to move in with Carlin evaporated. End quote. The death of Clara dealt a heavy blow to Theo, who had already been struggling. See, one method of control that Jen loved to use was to draw lines between events and coincidence to prove that things were meant to be and that everything happened for a reason. Quote, I saw my grandmother's cancer as direct punishment from the universe. Of course, outside of my head, cancer is a thing that happens to anyone based on scientific factors and environments and body chemistry and has nothing to do with what anyone owes the universe. But in the state that I was in, I absolutely could not see it any other way. I was inconsolable and hyperfixated on my own guilt so much that I couldn't grow out of it. End quote. This fixation only worsened with the passing of the grandmother the final stressor that broke the relationship Carlin, who ended things in November 2004. So, Theo thought that what happened with the grandmother, because of everything Jen kind of pushed on them, that their grandmother getting sick and dying was punishment to Theo for how they escaped Jen and Jack. That is, on that level, saying, you know what? That hurricane that killed all them people was because there's gays. <laughs> exactly. It, I mean, I mean obviously... it's it's yeah. <laughs> obviously, someone is at fault for the th good. Nope, out the window. Light it on fire out the window. Yeah, it's like you know, it's easy to see at this point. It's like, well, yeah, no, that wasn't your fault at all. But the mindset that they were in and how fucked right. they like their head had gotten because of Jen. Right. It was. It was yeah. 
Yeah. So <laughs> their grip on reality further loosened and they they had lost everything that they had kept them grounded for the last couple of years. Quote, while I still had local friends, I felt that I had lost friends that understood and accepted me the most. I both hated and needed someone to talk to about soul bonding because I was still thinking about the stuff like synchronicity, destiny, and the people that lived inside my head. But since I'd gone in with Jan and Jack for so long, I felt like I couldn't go to Eros because Eros had left quite some time before this all happened with with Athio. And I felt like talking about soul banding and past lives in the open was still admitting to the crowd that I still believed and obeyed the things that Jen was into and still doing. So it's like, they were very conflicted because they, they needed to work this stuff out. But they thought by talking about it, that other people would be like, okay, well, you're, you're still just following what Jen did. So they felt like they couldn't talk about it to anybody. Hmm. I began to feel that Clara could talk to me. And I freaked out because she was trying to tell me that death was meaningless. And it was up and it upset me more than anything I'd ever heard because I was in the midst of seeing my family be deteriorate without her. The idea that I could talk to people who were dead grew and grew in my head. And soon I was thinking of my grandmother just following me along down the street, commenting often with innocence and kindness on things that she could see both inside my memories and the world around us. And it started freaking me out more and more. I started hearing her voice very soon after the funeral, but it wasn't big enough to talk about until after Carlin had dumped me and I was having trouble finding anyone to talk to at all. I had friends that I could talk to a little, but I couldn't for the life of me ex like explain the entire embarrassing story that led me to believe that my grandmother could speak to me from beyond the grave without people thinking Jen was still under my skin, which she was. At the time, I was pulled so far away from science and logic that I couldn't think of it as anything other than a paranormal experience. Theo's support group of friends has shrunk considerably, and many of those that have remained didn't really understand what was happening with them on a psychological or spiritual level. But they did remain friends with Lydia, who had their back pretty solidly. Theo did also have another friend that had been through, that had been around through the whole thing, and we're calling him Reese here. Theo had met Reese on the internet around the year 2000 and had become their new local best friend. He had tried very hard to warn Theo about Jen and had tried to help Theo see that they were a strong, independent person who had far more courage than they ever gave themselves credit for. Theo's family and their old circle of friends that include Santa really didn't like Reese because he had an attitude about him that they didn't like. He was very loud and visibly queer in a way that most suburban Marylanders just didn't like, which only encouraged Theo to think about exploring their own gender further. December 2004, Reese held a vigil for Dimebag Daryl of Pantera, who had been murdered. Lydia and a friend of Reese's named Clive were in attendance. Clive was tall, very attractive, and Theo couldn't help but notice. They all got a little drunk, and Theo asked Reese to give them a mohawk. And this was a good night, one of a few during this time. Feeling somewhat tipsy, Theo did something impulsive and stole a kiss from Clive. Unlike Matt, Clive was actually a good kisser. And this would be a high point before things got really bad. Theo would visit a friend not long after who would finish the job on Theo's head and shave it completely bald. Quote, I somehow got into my head that everything Jen had seen in mine was tainted and I wanted to reduce any connection I had to her to prove that I had nothing to do with her anymore and that she could no longer control me. One of the things that got stuck in my head and was never deprogrammed for me before I left was because Jack had made this motion with his hand at some point when we visited a church. I'd given up a small piece of my soul to him because of this, apparently. And I thought, 
because Jan had access to it, she could control me somehow. So my paranoid brain worked itself up into a froth that Jan was going to be able to pilot my body. And I started becoming obsessed with ways of preventing that from happening. Along with agreeing to have my head shaved, I deleted my websites and put my freaking live journal password out in the open in the air so people could just see what I would said and I could finally be clean. I heard about Britney Spears suffering a similar shave to her head breakdown several years after that I got through it, and I was awash with Britney's sympathy ever since. A 2021 note, damn, she's still going through it. <laughs> Fucking, yeah. Britney Spears is something we're discover one day, because holy shit. Yeah, yeah I, I the the timing on this is just kind of wild. That's like, God. you know, and everyone's like, oh, Britney was crazy or whatever. And then they're like, oh, no. Yeah, no. we, we the world was assholes. <laughs> like, sure. looking back on that shit, fuck. Oh, yeah. So on December 31st, 2004, Theo would go to D.C. with Reese and Lydia and some other friends to see their favorite band. Quote, I was still 100% certain that Jen could take control of my body because I introduced her to their music. That's when I started texting everyone on my phone that I was sorry and that I was deleting their number in order to protect them. Of course, I got a bunch of texts back that were like, oh my god, what the fuck? Of course, I survived the concert with no possession, and when I got back to my friend's house, I didn't really even know what to do with myself. I watched some anime with my friends that was just super weird, and somewhere around midnight, I started to crying, and I couldn't stop. I don't remember why. I was physically dehydrated and hadn't eaten in three-ish days, so I was probably suffering some sort of physical and mental side effects of preparing for something bad to happen and then surviving it, not knowing what to do having survived it. Theo woke up in the new year in a hospital bed, somewhat confused, trying to remember the events that brought them there. Quote, I remember being admitted to the hospital after I arrived. I remember being in the waiting room and still worried about jam possessing parts of my brain. I had this tube of chapstick that I took the label off of and I was showing it to Reese because I was proud of myself for completely excising what I thought was Jen's influence on me. But since I couldn't explain the context, it was just amusing and somewhat confusing. I was exhausted and they put me on a stretcher and I went to sleep and apparently I slept for three days. Apparently, while I was being admitted, important family members had come out of the woodwork to make sure I was okay. And I thought for a few moments that Jen had possessed my body, and I was saying words that I thought that she would say if she had. I apologized to my sibling for liking some of the same things that she liked. And I apologized to the man that who would later become my husband for stealing his karate man. And of course, that scared the shit out of both of them. When I woke up in this regular hospital bed, everyone just thought I was dehydrated. But then I started to hear Clara talk to me again, and ended up in the psych unit of the same hospital. It's the same hospital I was born in, and I recognize a lot of the handrails on the sides of the walls from my trips over the course of my very, very early youth. The psych ward was ill-equipped to deal with people that weren't drug addicts, and the doctors really didn't know what to do with Theo. One doctor saw Theo's hair was shaved short and asked them if they were trans, which Theo told them no, scared of what would happen if they'd said anything other than that. Theo was unable to tell them how they came to believe that Jen was going to possess them. So the doctors worked on patching up what they could. Quote, I told them I heard voices and they tried a few different medications out. I was crying a lot, so they put me on an antidepressant, which made me feel worse. I don't know how they pulled bipolar disorder out of that mess, but that's the label I was given. And the medicine they put me on with some minor adjustments worked really well to calm me down. They had a lady that did art therapy and I reacted well to that. But while the staff was not unkind, they really had no idea what to do with me and neither did I. I was completely incapable of talking about my trauma at all, and the disparaging way that the medical doctor came about talking to me made me ashamed to be there in the first place. So I was just a traumatized art kid with a shaved head. 
So like most like general hospitals that have a psych unit, really, it, it's to just like get you the fuck out so you're not like get you to a point that you're not harmful to yourself or others, and that's it. Just go. So like you can imagine like this this psych unit not knowing really know what to do with the situation, you not really being able to talk about what was going on, and then like they're just used to dealing a lot with more drug related incidents and stuff as well. Right. Right. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So and Reese, this being what early aughts. This would have been uh, this is two thousand. Oh, very start two thousand five. Yeah. Okay. They, they were they were so... admitted on New Year's Eve. Yeah, so that's 16 years ago. Um, the treatment for mental health DC. was not not really uh, great. No. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or just the knowledge. The knowledge to recognize that maybe, you know, something else was going on. Good God. Yeah. Um, so recent Clive came to visit Theo while they were in the hospital, but these days were short and awkward. It was clear that the hospital's primary goal was to just get Theo out there that and get them from a point that they were a threat to themselves or others, just so that as soon as she started to show it, they started to show any sort of signs of calming down, they sent them home after only a week and a half. The hospital hadn't secured Theo a doctor, or even provided a referral to a talk therapist. And their parents were so shocked they didn't think to question things. Unsurprisingly, Theo had a rebound incident not long after their discharge, after which they then got better care. Quote, I was on my way up, but I still kept hearing what I thought were thoughts of the dead speaking to me, and not just Clara this time either. I was still hearing the thoughts of the universe too loudly in my head. And this was around the time that HBO's Carnival was airing on TV, and during a channel flip, it ended up on a clip where the words were, this is your house. And it stuck in me in a sort of mega destiny to get through this pain and then recover for some greater purpose that I couldn't fathom at the time. After this incident, I started babbling again, and my mother tried to admit me to the hospital closer to where she lived. I had a better experience with the psych triage nurse that kept me from being sent to a local mental institution because she just sent two known sexual predators there. So she prescribed me a talk therapist on top of the psychiatrist so that I could talk about my problems. I was able to get a better, I, I was able to get a lot better with the combination of both. My first talk therapist was a very was an older, very religious Latino man. And while he was very, very kind, I was terrified about talking to him about gender issues, no matter how kind he seemed, because I was too afraid that he'd be disappointed in me. So I completely avoided talking about what caused my breakdown to him. Talking with older, non-fandom people about fandom used to be a good avenue to get laughed at. And I got enough of that from Agnes, but it prevented me from trusting a professional to talk about it. This first therapist was good enough that I was able to get back to thinking about the real world and calling myself enough to get back to work on my own, but the problems were not even scratched. He retired about a year or two into our sessions together. When I got out of the hospital at the beginning of 2005, my mother put her foot down and forbade me from going on the internet. That only lasted about a month or two, and evaporated when I went back to my job at the gas station. I couldn't stay away from the internet. Almost as soon as I was back online, Jack got back in touch with me and apologized. Oddly enough, I responded to him favorably, just based on the way that I had breaking things off for them in the first place. I told him that I was sorry about the way that I acted and the way that I went dark, and that I never wanted to talk to Jen again. But of course, that ended up falling through. I didn't have the heart to tell Jack at the time, but it signaled to me that I should not try to talk to him or try to be close to him until Jen was no longer living with him. So, like, imagine in 2005, like, trying to explain that to a, to a doctor about the internet. 
No, you you get you get locked up forever. Yeah. yeah. They would think you were totally disassociated. Yeah, they yeah. They would absolutely disassociate it or just... completely overblowing everything. Like Over, that would be right. Right. So you're either like it's just a psychopath or a, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. A month or so later, partially in response to what happened to Theo, Icarus would put his website the warning about Jen and Jack and the website Hojo.org, finally publicly sharing what had happened to him. Quote, Jack reached out to me to mitigate the damage, and that's how the transfer of ownership of Hojo.org ended up coming to me. Since I was working very hard to keep my perception of my Hojo in my head separate from Jen's, the idea of associating Hojo permanently with Jen made me so brazenly angry that I took it despite the bad publicity. So even though I really should have let things fall where they were, I took the keys to the brand new convertible full of manure, as Icarus so aptly put it, I love you, man. Because not doing so would give Jen a moral victory, and on top of that, and on top of all the other ones that she had. So yeah, um, Jack ended up giving up the website that he had. It was their primary, like, Hojo.org was like how so many people found Jen and Jack for a long time, or five years. Um, so Jack giving that up was a big change. Um, not that it really helped Theo a whole bunch, because Theo took it over, and people then were, after everything out with, went out with Icarus, Theo, everyone would just contact Hojo.org looking for Jack and Jen, and they'd find Theo. It was like, no, this is uh, this is not Jen. I have nothing to do with Jen. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would run the website for another ten years, and just constantly people coming up, like poking around on the internet looking for a Jen. Right. It's like, are you Jen? No, I'm not Jen. <laughs> oh, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Yeah. So with Jen and Jack thoroughly distracted by the chaos of the internet, learning about the now infamous. FF7 house, Theo was able to focus on their own recovery, which was not a straight and narrow path. Quote, I started to recover for real, though very slowly for years, because what I actually have is PTSD from the incident, and not necessarily bipolar disorder. My general recovery started on the basis of grounding my thoughts in reality. No more, oh, what a coincidence. No more tarot cards, no more destiny, no more heard voices, just plain, flat, scientific affirmations. The sky is blue because it's reflecting off the blue water in the ocean and the grass is green because of chlorophyll and clouds are made of raindrops. End quote. That summer, Theo and some friends would help Icarus run his table at a convention. And at one point, it was just Theo and Clive. They had been friends for some time, and despite their kiss at the end of 2004, things hadn't been romantic. But the convention would be the beginning of things changing. Quote, I think we were at Icarus's table for Otacon 2005, and just started singing dumb shit together, and things just clicked. Our relationship didn't really become romantic until 2006, when he asked Reese if it was okay to date me, and I had earned my place back into reg- the regular world. And he first asked me out on December 26, 2005, in front of my dad's house, and we went to Olive Garden, and just kept going, despite, you know, Olive Garden. Which is adorable, because Olive Garden is terrible. But free breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> So Clive had a strong belief in my mouth a little bit. Not gonna lie, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> that that's the expected uh, what reaction? Don't sue us, Olive Garden. <laughs> um, so Clive was an XJW. Um, so he, he had very mm-hmm. strong beliefs in science, and these beliefs then helped Theo continue to untangle Jen's conditioning and recover, becoming a very solid pillar of strength in their life. Because yeah. 
you leave, if you leave a religion like Jehovah's Witnesses, you uh, you really don't put up with that shit anymore. Clive and Theo got married in 2009. Icarus, Reese, and Lydia were some of the many friends that would attend this event. Theo has very fond memories of that night, and since then, Theo and Clive would work together to build a stable life for each other. Clive, Clive gave them a safe place to grow and unconditional love and support. Theo has come a long way since the break in 2005, and so much so that they were able to get a job in the gaming industry. In 2015, Theo got in an argument with someone who tried to say that everything that happened with Jen had been entirely Theo's fault. And this hit Theo hard. Quote, That's when I started to try and dig deeper and more earnestly to get past the anger that I had been left with. I was taught by my earlier therapist how to survive and get back to being a worker bee, but now I had to figure out how to accept myself and learn how to defend myself. This would be the same year that Theo would finally give up the keys to Hojo.org to someone else and has not had anything to do with it since. In 2015, Icarus had referred Theo to a vice journalist by the name of Asher Elbin, who wanted to do a piece on the Final Fantasy VII house and Jen. They saw this as an opportunity to really tell their side of the story. But unfortunately, that's not what would happen. Theo poured their heart out and was incredibly disappointed when the article came out to mention almost nothing that hadn't already been said on the Demon Sushi website. All the deeply personal details that Icarus, Theo, and a man named Nate, who had dated Jen briefly before Jack, were completely dropped, and the article seemed to focus its sympathy on Jen. Not only that, this article would out Icarus as trans before he had any chance to come out himself. Thanks, Vice. Good job, you fucking shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't do no, you don't do that. Yeah. So quote, from what I understand, this was a fault of the editor's advice at the time. Asher himself had been very polite and sympathetic in his responses to me, but the article that went live was terrible. I was mad enough that I asked to be put in touch with his editor, who said that in the name of balanced journalism, the tone was chosen because Jen couldn't be reached. Asher seemed decently apologetic, but this editor editor guy's tone really upset me and alienated me. I think the best one-liner I remember from the conversation is, I know this is hard to understand, but I hope that you never have to understand just how badly this person hurt me. End quote. I just, like, Theo's a pretty passive person, but the point is that they got upset enough to demand to talk to the editor of Vice. Right. Mm -hmm. Amazing. In 2017, Clive would have a health incident that would be a brush with near death, and this would shake Theo to their foundations. Terrified of the thought of losing their husband, ripping through them, and they realized that they still had things to deal with. Quote, I emailed around and found another therapist, and I got one in 2018. I had been without one since 2010, and I was able to talk to the therapist about everything. Agnes, my gender, hearing Clara's voice, the fear of losing Clive, my feelings about Reese and Jack, and I held off getting healing for a really long time because I thought no one would understand. So a lot of this healing has taken place only very recently. It was this therapist that challenged my bipolar disorder diagnosis and made me think that I could have been suffering from the effects of PTSD the entire time and been able to be functional because the meds that I'm on for bipolar disorder are also used to treat PTSD. End quote. Theo credits this therapist for a lot in their life. So Theo has had many years to think about what happened and what made Jen the way that she was. Quote, at 19, I'm not sure how intentional Jen was about making people feel powerless. 
it almost felt animalistic and immediately revengeful with how the way that she acted. There was a time where she claimed that there was no original Jen that existed to talk to. At a time when she said that, I thought it was a convenient way that she just didn't want to own up to the bullshit that she was pulling on me. But after talking to subsequent people who are also multiples, I realized that it's a thing that tends to happen, especially with multiples that have experienced severe trauma. And it's a way of protecting themselves. And though frustrating, I can see how and why they would end up like that. So multiplicity, or how it's known in the DSM, is the Dissociative Identity Disorder. It's a very complex and has a very controversial history. This is one that we'll want to probably cover in much more detail in another episode. But for now, I'm going to kind of give you guys a quick rundown. I don't know how familiar you guys are with DID. Um, some. I admit yeah. that, you know, just because of... Uh, I admit the biases that are present in a lot of us that because of the way certain... Um, Dissociative disorders are displayed oh. in the media, mm -hmm. you know, that I've, I've had to do some of my own unpacking. So when I first heard that a few years ago, it was not that long ago. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I had to go and look it up because I was like, wait, is this the same thing as like, what does this mean? And because I didn't want to assume anything. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, for a long time, it was known as multiple personality disorder. But yeah, commonly, right. it's commonly called now dissociative identity disorder. Um, which is characterized by the maintenance of at least two distinct and enduring personalities. Um, individuals with the disorder may find themselves alternating between these personalities, often without their awareness, leaving blank spaces in their memory, but presentation can vary dramatically. So we have many testimonies from plethora of survivors about Jen's beliefs in soul bonding and kinning and past lives, as it's commonly called on the internet. These concepts are quite prevalent in intense fandom groups, especially those with a lot of younger members. These beliefs often evolve from role-playing and frequently are just mostly harmless extensions of those fantasies. But in some cases, these can also be an extension of a mental illness or used to perpetrate abuse. Jen enacted these concepts, often flitting between a myriad of identities or alters, as they're called. Jen presented and insisted that these changes... Jen presented insisted that these changes were thorough changes in personality, true alters like the ones that you would have with DID. The controversial part of DID is around cause treat and the treatment of disorder. It's commonly believed that DID is a disorder that's onset by severe trauma and that over 90% of cases are brought on by childhood abuse, which is a lot. Uh, the psyche just can't handle the trauma and thus it splits into a handful of different identities as a self-defense mechanism. Sometimes these identities are childlike and regressive. Other times their person, their, the personalities are aggressive and work as defenders to the host. Um, the psychology community is divided whether these personalities are truly distinct personas with their own memories and thoughts and feelings, or if they're artificially created as part of the disassociated process. So like disassociation, as you guys know, is, is just when you just completely... I'm trying to think of a simple way to explain, but it's not just disassociation. Um, you divorce reality, essentially. Mm -hmm. You've just completely divorced from reality, and there's plenty of other disassociative disorders that you respond in different ways when you disassociate. Um, DID is just the one where people um, tend to shift into different personalities. The um, commonly accepted form of treatment is integration, so a process where a therapist works with the individual to undo the disassociative triggers and integrate the personalities all back into one. 
there is a very vocal group of people online who claim that to be multiples and are vehemently against the idea that a healthy person can't have alters and that integration is a mandatory process to achieve healing. To them, the thought of integration is akin to suggesting killing their family members. They insist that not anyone, not everyone that has alters suffered trauma or abuse and want desperately to undo this perception. But as this is the internet, and as there are very few official studies that have been done in this vein, it's hard to know what to believe. DID is somewhat rare, and when it comes to mental disorders, and it can present very drastically different from one person to the next, it's believed that many people that have this sort may not even know that they have it. One of the claims, of course, is when you switch into one of these alters, is you lose time and memory. So, like, you've switched. You may, you may not know that you have it all. You were kind of reliant on outside sources to tell you. So what we know about this disorder is, disorder is really quite limited and heavily convoluted by decades of media portraying this disorder in really the worst possible light. Right. That all to say, a common question that I see asked about Jen is if she is a true multiple like she claims she is. Of course, none of us are psychologists, and this is all pure speculation, um, but I did pose this question to Theo. Quote, since taking my leave from the Final Fantasy VII house permanently, I've met multiples or systems, which is a collection of personalities, completely unaffiliated with anyone that knew Jen, Jack, or Angel. These folks seem to be in varying degrees of being able to manage themselves, and the ones that I'm friends with are a good many people in trench coats. I'm not sure if it's a difference between me wanting to work with these friends and be patient and understanding with them, or if I just never really truly was close enough to Jen to begin with. The degree of success that Jen has with convincing people to give her things is high enough that I'm, com I'm inclined to believe that it's a clever act. I don't think I hate anything else in the world more than I hate Jen. But I also can't say that I know enough about this to say yes or no. It was always very convenient that the alter I was talking to just didn't want to work with me. And maybe to her, I'm the abuser that made her so scared that she couldn't be her true self around me, to which that's fine, I guess. I have known more honest multiples, and they're not all bad. And for a long time, after I took my leave from Final Fantasy VII House, I was convinced that multiplicity and soul bonding were bad but they were just wrappers and ways to deal with pain and that they were sometimes misused. The idea that an individual splits themselves apart in order to avoid pain or become stronger is not bad in itself, but it can be very difficult to control and very difficult to find a supportive community around. What is true of Jen with regards to multiplicity is that it has put a negative spin on that in the community as a whole and pointed figures at innocent people. Sometimes someone who is struggling will look like nothing but trouble. And bias based on mental status is a huge problem. Multiples are people too. And I think that all people who are dealing with trauma deserve to be treated with dignity and understanding. Unfortunately, I could not do this with Jen because of what I went through myself. And the commitment to misunderstanding each other caused this gigantic rift to form between us. Soul bonding and kinning were the powers seated in having, as having been someone great once upon a time, but aren't so great now, I still find it a little more uncomfortable just because... The idea of focusing on being someone else and looking to the past got and kept me in a lot of trouble and pain and ruminating thoughts for a long time. However, the idea of pretending that you're someone else, someone stronger, someone who isn't tra so traumatized to get through something, even if it's just for a few seconds a day, that itself is an, a kind of a positive idea. My therapist is saying that if, if you yourself are the hardest in yourself, you'll be your own enemy. But thinking of your younger self as a friend who's going through shit and treating them as if you treat a friend is a good way to force yourself to have empathy for yourself. Though I think Jen may represent someone who has taken this concept to its absolute extreme. So yeah, it's like many people I've talked to, like they do think that Jen's not a true split personality. She's, she is, in fact, it is all an act to try and manipulate people. Which, 
checks out so far based on what we know, because it does seem to very conveniently happen whenever she needs something. But there is right. there is something, yeah, totally. Yeah. We do know that Jen did endure some trauma in her late teens, which is a story that we'll get to another time, but we also know that prior to that, she had struggles, and it becomes a question of the chicken before the egg situation when it comes to trying to determine the, the origins of Jen's inclination towards abuse and manipulation. As for Theo, if I knew when her parents divorced, I think I've forgotten, but her self-esteem issues made me think that it was early enough in her life that it wrecked her quite a bit, the same way that it did me. I myself, in my solitude of the apartment complex, I had no friends and built my own stability with my imagination. Even though I struggled at first, I was able to integrate okay-ish with society by 10th grade. I don't think Jen really got the same life experience or character building. She seemed to be able to buy or pry her way out instead of actually sitting down to think about things herself or fix a problem on her own. She attracts attention to herself by seeming helpless and works over people who very often see themselves as honorable for helping somebody in pain. At first, she certainly appealed to the very honorable Luke Skywalker kind of easily duped not-female person that I was on the inside. I heard a little bit that she went through some sort of correctional school, and when I was planning to move in with her and Jack, she kept lording over us that I'm going to get money from this lawsuit against this place I was in as a reason to stay. Of course, it never came. I think the lawsuit did eventually come, but the reparations were very small or delayed enough that it really didn't matter. Money was always a big deal with her. She didn't want to physically work for it, but she wanted to have it because having it meant spending it. But I think she came from money. She had a hard time gawking the value of it. To, fur to further coin and continually reappropriate phrase, her vain pursuit of random shinies generally left her broke, and by association, anyone else would live with her, which sucks. So this is something's probably going to come up more later, but Jen is suddenly will decide that she wants something, and she often calls them shinies, and if something's like purple or it's shiny, doesn't really matter what it is, she'll decide suddenly that she fucking wants it. And that she needs to have it and because there's something magical about it. And she'll want someone to buy it for her. And if they don't, she kind of throws a, a temper tantrum. Oh. So, yeah, it's great. I don't know if you guys remember from Icarus' story of when they went to go, like, house shopping. Like, get stuff for the house. And she became obsessed with the cabbage cloths. That's right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Cabbage cloths. <laughs> um, just but, yeah, a it's kinda... really weird set of fixations. Yeah. Exactly. I just see something like, this is it. I need this right now. So that's great. Um, so, quote, I have trouble thinking that Jen sees other people as real sometimes. I think at a point where she and I were fighting, my feelings are the last thing on her mind. They may have never been on her mind at all ever since she first emailed me. Jen really doesn't come off seeming, seeming to have a purposeful overall plan. She seems to be a garden writer and have some semblance of a plan destroys the magic a little. I think she's empathy hungry or empathy starved and just jumps from point to point like an addict. As stated in Icarus and Elliot's cases, she has a favorite quote, food, which is questioning trans mask folk who aren't sure of themselves. Anyway, Jan gets herself a lot of people who want to be taken care of and a lot of submissives and that she just feeds on them and orders them around. And I think now that her original Power Rangers have moved on, she just goes to feed in whatever fandom she can, if she can. As kidding culture has popularized itself, there's a lot more infrastructure than there used to be. So you can likely go to your friends and tell them that there's an abuser is telling you that you can't be whatever double or whatever they're trying to restrict. As long as there will be fandom, there will be predators within the fandom. Some of them won't even know it and will do similar damage without even realizing it until after it happens. 
I haven't allowed my, anyone else as close to me as Jen and Jack got. And, and believe it or not, I never even let Jack as close as I let Santa. So my experience has made me very aloof to keep their, keep from repeating the same pain. Sometimes I'll find myself in a small trap, but never of the same design. And I never let myself fall so far. Sometimes someone will move in a similar, in an emotionally similar pattern to Jen, and I'll fucking yeet for seemingly no reason at all. I'm glad other people can look back and laugh, but I'm not there yet. I can hear about the trouble that Jen gets herself into and guffaw like the fucking devil, but anything else is just, I experienced it too intensely and earnestly, so I try to tread carefully around people who don't fully understand what I've been through. There are very few people who are willing to listen to such a long story and come out sympathetic enough to be actionable with the respect that I expect. As I keep my barriers way, way up about it, I don't want to hurt or lash out on anyone who doesn't fully understand. J.K. Rowling could fall down a hole and never return, but the idea of seeing Thestrals really resonated with me. Some people are lucky enough never to be able to understand, and it's better that they don't. Being able to laugh about Final Fantasy VII House is a privilege I aspire to have one day, but it's out of my reach thus far. The anger that has propelled me forward has given me so much strength that I'm afraid of letting it go. And for those who aren't familiar with Thestrals from Harry Potter, they are um, skeletal demon-like horses that you can only see if you've seen someone die. Which is very apt, like, metaphor for people who've experienced abuse. So you can see it coming from our way once you've experienced it once, and it completely changes how you see the world. Right. At least that's, so that's kind of how I see it. I think it's a good metaphor in a way. It really is. Yeah, I hadn't considered it that way. Yeah. So I asked you about the relationship with Final Fantasy VII now. Quote, I may take a few steps back from Final Fantasy VII as an IP in order to still be able to enjoy it. And I would love nothing more than an unhook my favorite villain from Final Fantasy VII, from Jen's black hole of drama. Hojo, the character, was very important to me personally for a long time, and this was true long before I met Jen. Oddly enough, the character I ended up being unable to handle in Final Fantasy VII's remake was Sephiroth, due to one incident where Jen was LARPing as Sephiroth, and she had a real fake samurai sword, and she was pretend sword fighting with me, and I asked her to stop, but she wouldn't. She got up in my face, and there were enough similar shots of Sephiroth in the opening of Final Fantasy Remake that it triggered me, that or triggered that dumb, repressed little memory that made me very scared and stopped from being able to enjoy it. Um, as for Jack, for a long time, Jack was lost in the black pit of Jen, one where any contact Theo made would be seen and controlled by Jen. But in 2009, when Jack uh, and Angel were leaving, Theo tentatively opened the window again. The two follow each other's private journals these days and stay in touch at arm's length. Theo doesn't know if they could ever fully recover the, the friendship that they once had. They both suffered so much trauma at the hands of Jen and the events that occurred. Theo appreciates the fact that for many of Jen's survivors, Jack and Angel are just as, if not more culpable in their trauma than Jen was. But for Theo, it's a little different. Jack had been someone that had been so incredibly important in their life at the time, a vital part of their coming of age and discovering the seeds of their identity, and someone that Theo had to watch disappear into dark waters and had to leave behind after nearly drowning themselves trying to save him. And while once upon a time, Theo held resentment against Angel, it never had anything to do with her as a person. Well, Theo knows that they'll likely never be fully involved in their lives now. It's enough to know that they're doing all right. All right, so I asked Theo a couple uh, questions that we're going to finish off with, and that'll be it. So 
asked, um, if you could go back and give yourself advice before this all started, what would you say? Quote, find someone else to pine for. Saving Jack is not your responsibility. I don't care if you started his interest in Final Fantasy VII or not. If you had the opportunity to talk to someone that was currently under Jen's thrall, what would you say? Quote, I know you probably think that you're, you're someone who's defending your queen. You're her knight in shining armor, but keep an eye on your own hit points. Think about yourself and your needs. Think about science. Think about logic. I know she's probably pulled you out of something really bad, but also be cognizant of the uh, of the bad that occur could occur now. You are not alone. Maybe your previous friends or family didn't understand you, but if she's hurting you, you don't deserve that. Jen is just as human as you are. She's not God. She's not your queen. She doesn't have your best interests at heart. She's an expert con man, but her game is much less about logic and more about emotion. She may not even mean to hurt you, but if she's asking you to stay and it hurts, you can leave, you can go, you can get better. She is not as unique as she says she is. And you could talk to a lot of people who have gone through just as much as you have. Your honor may be damaged, but Jen herself has no honor. She is the one in the wrong. You may not ever be able, you may not ever be made to be brought to justice, and it's not your job to do so. Focus on getting focus on getting revenge by living well and showing her up and being the person that she could never be. And um, Theo had a very appropriate uh, meme to attach to that comment. Oh, that at the end, real winners quit. There you go. Real winners quit. Um, so is that any advice for anyone that might be recovering from a similar experience? Uh, you're not alone. You're not a traitor. You do not deserve to be in pain. Anyone laughing at you can go to hell. You deserve to heal. You deserve to be talked to and listened to. You deserve to use resources made available to you. Remember to breathe. Take small things for yourself. Riddled strings, but keep what you need that you love. You don't need to go back to prove your honor. And I said, uh, what is something that you're looking forward to? Um, Theo said, I'm looking forward to Final Fantasy XIV's next big expansion. I'm working on more art projects. I'm working on more cool games. Also looking forward to saving up enough to travel the world with my husband a lot more. Maybe taking up math and science again. So today, Theo lives their best life with their husband and their two cats working at their dream job. Quote, getting revenge on the Final Fantasy VII house cult has been complicated. Revenge can carry you to do a lot of impressive things and only ends when the, ends when the evil you seek to defeat is either defeated in some satisfying physical way or you're pulled back off onto the path of peace with the self. And I think I found a small sense of peace after being so worked up about what Jen did for so long. I'm at a point now where I just want Jen to find something that makes her stop taking from others. I don't I don't care or care to know who or what that would be that makes it stop. I know other Final Fantasy VII house survivors might think of this as a cop-out answer, but I see her as a force of nature rather than a person. I can't know her, and I don't really ever want to, and I don't think I ever wanted to at all. I want her out of my life and beyond the ability to control it, and I've done that by living well. And that's Theo's story. Oh. <laughs> there's a ride mm -hmm. yeah and i just it oh, gosh we all look for things so hard that make us feel like we're included and part of the group and then there are people who take advantage of that and i'm just like no 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 into the dumpster yeah, it's just like everything about Theo's childhood growing up just primed them for yeah. Jen's eventual show. Like, right. tough. And it's like, obviously, like, mm -hmm. 
99% of those fandom interactions you're going to get too long online, they're not going to like go anywhere near this. Like no. the luck of the draw that this happened is just wild. Because there's, there's so there's so many things that could have just not happened that could have prevented this from happening entirely. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, but. it really is. Thanks a lot to Theo for sharing their story and allowing us to be the ones to share that story. Yes. The the I it's so cliche, but I always think like the amount of just sheer willpower that it takes to to do that is impressive. Yeah, um like like I said, we talked for like two months. We were like emailing massive essays back and forth and stuff. Yeah. Um and like yeah, I think, I think, like, from what they were saying, like, this is the most time that kind of spent on, like, working through all this. And one of the things they said is, like, you know, being able to talk, you know, after having talked about it so much with our emails, it's like, it's easier to talk about other people because it's kind of rehearsed already. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, now I've got, the, got it in my head. And they're like, I'm looking forward to, like, the next time people come asking me questions about it for me to just be able to send them a link <laughs> to the website and, like, here, this is my story. Yeah, that's, I mean... Right, because then you you get that moment to like sort it out in your own brain, um, put it down right into w actual words that someone else is going to read, which is already nerve wracking, yeah, and t terrifying on a certain level. And then knowing that someone else is going to read it is, yeah, I, Theo, thank you. That's, yeah, I don't even have proper words for it. Thanks again to Theo for being so open and willing to share their story with me and being able to talk to me in that level of depth. It takes a lot of bravery to come forward with something like this because no one wants to believe that bad things happen for no reason. It is not uncommon for people to judge people with trauma to think that they did something to deserve it because we don't want to believe that that could happen to us even though we did nothing. But more often than not, that's the case. You just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and, you know, a wrong headspace when someone like a predator like Jen winds up in your life. It's really important that we share these stories, especially in the time of this pandemic where online relationships are more prevalent than ever. Know that this can happen to anyone, no matter who you are. No matter how smart that you think you are. It just takes the right person at the right moment. But one of the best things that we can do in scenarios like this is talk about it. Talking about it helps us get outside perspective. Predators rely on us being isolated and stuck in our own head and looking to them for the only narrative. If someone in your life is treating you unfairly or you don't feel good about something or an interaction with someone, talk to someone that you trust. Hell, even talk to somebody on the internet. Sometimes it's easier to be more open with a stranger than it is the people in your own life. For me, that's actually how I found out that what my relationship was previously was bu abusive. Because I made a post on Reddit. And suddenly everyone else was pointing out what I never saw until that moment. 
one more big thank you to Theo again for sharing their story and we look forward to bringing you more stories like this as we've continued to make more and more contacts with survivors from Jen. If you are a survivor from Jen, you haven't spoken to someone and you want to speak about your story, we're more than happy to share it either with you coming on the show or if you want to just speak with me one-on-one and we can work it out together and I can tell it on your behalf. Jen is just one abuser. There were thousands of people out there, like I'm probably more than that. This is just one example that we've chosen and that we've already found dozens of people that have suffered under her influence. The most effective way of stripping someone like Jen of their power is to make people aware and to be open and talk about these abuses. People like Jen rely on manipulation and writing their own narrative to make people feel sympathy for them, to pit them against other people in the world that might try to stop the abuser. But if we band together, we share our stories, we hold them accountable, and we spread the word far enough, eventually they won't be able to find anyone to suck into their trap anymore. It's quite common for people to not report abuse that they've experienced because of the fact that their abusers tend to make them feel like they're so special and that they're the only one. But by sharing these stories, you find out that often we aren't the only abuse victim. And by sharing that story, we can help save others. If you find yourself in an abusive situation and you need help, feel free to call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. And that's 7233. 1-800- 799-7233 or you can visit their website to find more resources thehotline.org Stay safe and know that you're not alone and that there's far more people out there willing to help you than you could ever have imagined And that's it for this week Next week we bring you some campfire stories to tell around the internet I'll tell you a couple of my favorite creepypastas so let's get spooky as always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter or Facebook at The Human Exception. Have a story you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong? You just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get in on the fun, you can come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. Mm-hmm.